Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Um, today is Trinity Sunday, so it is the Sunday where pastors all across the world try their very best to explain the nature of God. And uh, don't worry, there will be a lot of accidental heresies going out around the world this morning, but not here. I will not commit any heresies um, because I'm not even going to try to explain um, God's nature to you today. But instead, what I want to do is explain why the Christian church won't give up on this wild idea that God is three in one. I like the way Augustine, um, a bishop in the fourth century said this he said anyone who denies the trinity is in danger of losing their salvation but anyone who tries to explain or tries to understand it is in danger of losing their minds which i really like the doctrine of the trinity is this mysterious way that we talk about this unknowable beyond us god we talk about god in three ways it is a doctrine of the church now, the church doesn't have a lot of doctrines. The Christian faith doesn't have a whole lot of, like, solid doctrines. Doctrines are settled teachings of the church. And a lot of people will say, this is doctrine, when it's not really. There's only a handful of doctrines, settled teachings of the church. We believe that Jesus is God incarnate, that he died and rose from the dead and uh, will return. That's doctrine, right? Uh, we don't know exactly how his sacrifice on the cross forgave all of our sins. We have theories of atonement. We, we proclaim that it did, that something about what Jesus did on the cross affects my sins, cancels them, and puts me in a right relationship with God. We believe that, but we don't exactly know how that happens, and so we have theories of the atonement. We have theories on how that works, but we don't have doctrine. But the Trinity is a doctrine. It is a solid, settled doctrine of the church that God is three in one, that God is three existences with one essence. Let me, let me try to explain what that doctrine means real quick. It, uh, the best way I can do it is um, think, about, think about myself when I was six years old. I think I got a picture of myself up here. So there's a picture of me that's six. There I am. Looks like Lewis, doesn't it? Looks so, okay. And so that's me. That's Rick, six years old. Now that that person is totally Rick, absolutely Rick. And the person in front of you today is also Rick. But I don't share any physical material with that boy anymore, right? All my cells have been divided and reduplicated, and all these different things. Physically, I'm totally a different kid, different person than that boy, right? And yet we're both Rick somehow. Yet we both share this beautiful essence that we can call Rickness, right? That's <laughs> so we share an essence even though we have distinct existences. That's what the Christian church has said about God. 
that God the Creator, we experience the existence of God the Creator, right? And that God also, God the Creator, the one we experience his existence as Creator, has an essence that we call God. Jesus Christ, the man, the one from Nazareth, who died, who was raised from the dead, that's the experience, that's the existence. And he has a shared essence that we call God. And then the Holy Spirit, we experience the existence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our hearts that moves us and fills us and empowers us. And that existence shares the same one essence with God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. I can't explain it any more than that. How does this all work? There's always more questions. How does this all work? I don't know how it all works, but truth be told, the Christian church has not said that the doctrine of the Trinity answers all the questions. The doctrine of the Trinity doesn't say, this is it, this is how it all works, no more questions. The doctrine of the Trinity doesn't so much explain the nature of God as much as it keeps us from saying too much about God. It keeps us from trying to unravel too much of the mystery of who God is. It keeps us from saying too much. Why do we even have this doctrine? The, the first thing you do when you dive deep into what is the Trinity, if you ask that on the internet, you would find right at the top, people would say, it's not in the Bible. And that's true. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to get the explanation that I just gave you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is three existences with one essence, or three persons with one being is another way to talk about it. That doesn't come about in the Bible. The Bible does not answer the question of who God is. Instead, the Bible really puts forth the question, right? The Bible really puts forth the question about God. See, the central question of the New Testament is not, how do I get into heaven? The central question is, who is Jesus? The central question of the New Testament of the Bible is not how do I get into heaven? It's about who God is and who Jesus is. I'm sorry to burst your bubble this morning, but you are not the main character of the Bible, all right? <laughs> it's not about you. In fact, as you read the stories of Jesus, the people that do come up to Jesus and say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, how do I get into heaven? Those are the people that Jesus gives the side eye, right? Those are the ones that get the snarky response from Jesus. The rich young ruler comes up to Jesus thinking that he's the main character of the story, and he says to Jesus, hey, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus goes, oh, this guy, right? <laughs> and he tries to wave him off. He says, follow the rules. You'll be fine. And the guy goes, which rules? The Ten Commandments, you know them. And the guy goes, hey, I've been doing that my whole life, so I'm in, right? And then Jesus is fed up with him and says, you know what? Actually, no, you got to do more. You have to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. How's that? Not very kind of Jesus. Not very ooh, compassionate. The guy turns away sad, right? And yet we have other people come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you have mercy on me? Jesus, will you help me? 
Jesus, you are the Son of God. Jesus, Son of God, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, is what blind Bartimaeus says to him. Blind Bartimaeus knows that Jesus is the, the main character, and Jesus has compassion, right? The New Testament, the Bible, the central question is not about how you get into heaven. If that's all it was about, you only need to read like 5% of the Bible, which most Christians only do. <laughs> Sorry if I'm meddling there. The Bible is telling us who God is. God is the main character of the Bible. Jesus is the main character of the New Testament. And when we put our focus on God, when we put our focus on Jesus, it does have repercussions in our lives. It does have an effect for us. But when we put Jesus central first, then things begin to line up in our lives. The central question of the New Testament is, who is Jesus? They tell the story of Jesus, and as you hear the story of Jesus, you have these weird overlaps between the God of Israel and Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus, some people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, have mercy. And Jesus says, God has forgiven all your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees go, whoa, whoa, whoa. who are you? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, oh, do you think I can't forgive sins? Let me show you something. And he says to the man who's just been asking for mercy, hey, who, who's paralyzed? says, stand up and walk. He does this to show people he has the power to forgive sins. And people start to ask, who is this guy? The stories go on to talk about Jesus walking on water. And if you think that that's just a cool miracle, a cool magic trick, then maybe you don't have the Old Testament memorized like you should, right? Because <laughs> anybody in that day when they hear of Jesus calming the sea or walking on water, their mind automatically flips to Job 39, where God of Israel confronts Job and says, Job, who are you? Do you think you're God? Were you there when I said to the waves here and no further? Were you there when I walked on the depths of the sea? And then people in the New Testament see Jesus walking on the water and saying to the wind and the waves here and no further. The New Testament continues to go on to show this overlap between God and Jesus until in the mouth of doubting Thomas, holding the resurrected Jesus' hands, he says, my Lord and my God. The letters of the New Testament greet the churches in the name of God the Father and of Jesus Christ. They worship God and Jesus. Well, how can this be in their culture in Israelite religion, you worship one God. The first commandment is to have no other gods beside him. And here the Christians are worshiping the same one God and Jesus Christ. The New Testament puts a problem to us. The problem is simple. There is only one God and also Jesus Christ is God. That's the conundrum that the New Testament puts before the church. And the New Testament is happy with this overlap, with this problem. They don't feel like they need to explain it anymore. The authors don't feel like they need to explain it anymore. But the early church, yeah, the early church feels a little uncomfortable with this situation. 
What does this mean? Who really is God? Is, do we worship one God or multiple gods? And how is Jesus God and also a human being? And so they had all these difficult problems and they were going to sort out what we mean. How do we solve this problem that the New Testament puts forward? There's a couple of bad solutions. There's a couple of missed marks. Um, one solution is that, oh, there's many gods. And so God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, we have three gods. We have a tritheism. Well, we said that doesn't quite work. That doesn't, that doesn't jive with the testimony that comes through the Israelites and Judaism that Christianity is a product of. We're not going to turn our back on monotheism. We believe God is one. We believe that is the testimony that God had given through the people of Israel. So tritheism, multiple gods, that's out. Uh, how about this? How about uh, um, maybe, maybe God the creator turned into Jesus and Jesus turned into the Holy Spirit. And so kind of like maybe you've heard this explanation that God is like water or H2O. Sometimes God is frozen. Sometimes God is really hot and steamy. And sometimes God is water, right? Uh, early church said, no, that's modalism, right? That doesn't quite work, especially because what's important in the story is Jesus's relationship with God. Modalism doesn't work in the story because Jesus has a relationship with the Father. Jesus sends the Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit and the Father, they have this kind of mysterious dance within themselves. So modalism is out. Another bad solution is what's called uh, adoptionism, is that Jesus is a human being, and he's a human being, we call him the son of God, and at some point God says, yeah, you are my son, and Jesus is like, awesome, now I'm the son of God, what do I do next? And God says, go die for everybody, oof, oof. Some people believe this is the way to go, but there's kind of a problem here, there's kind of a problem here. If Jesus is not God, if Jesus is the Son of God, then the story of salvation is a story of divine child abuse. Where God says, I'm up here, safe and sound in heaven, not dealing with the problems of earth. Oh, we need to save everybody? Okay, I'm going to sacrifice someone else. And we go, wait a sec. I can think of a more loving solution than sacrificing someone else. That idea doesn't jive with Christianity who has said that it is God who sacrifices God's self, that it is God on the cross. And the story of salvation only makes sense if it is God who gives himself for the world rather than God substituting another human being. It also continues to go, the, the, the heart of the matter of the New Testament is being made right with God. That's the heart of the matter. How do we make the world right with God? Because everyone and everything stands in need of grace. Everyone and everything stands in need of grace. And so if Jesus also is just another human being that stands in need of grace, how can then Jesus make up right between us and God? If there's a broken relationship between humanity and God, God is the only one with the power to make it right. God is the only one who has not committed an error in the relationship and says, I want you, I want to make you whole. I forgive all of your sins. So for salvation and the story of salvation to make sense, 
for it to work, we have to understand that it is God who is doing everything. That is God's grace. It is by God's grace that we are created. It is by God's grace that God comes and offers the apology and the sacrifice to make a right relationship. It is God who gives himself for us. It is not God saying, you over there, you go get sacrificed. It is God dying for us. And then, beyond that, it is God who then comes to us in the spirit and empowers us to say yes to this relationship. So that everything in our redemption and in the redemption of the world is all happening at the work of God. God who created us in the creator. God who redeems us in Jesus Christ. And God who empowers us to say yes to this new relationship through the Holy Spirit. God has done it all for us. And the only thing we have to do is say, thank you. The only thing left for us to do is praise. The only thing left to do for us is to be happy recipients of everything that God has done for us. This is grace. The Christian church won't give up on the idea of Trinity because we won't give up on grace. And so we are left with the Trinity formula, which I like to think of it in this way. God who is above us. God who is the creator, God who is the father, God who is beyond all comprehension. This is our God who is so far away and above everything we can think of. Why is this good news that God, that we experience God this way? Think of the Israelite slaves in Egypt, right? Think of what God in the burning bush said to Moses. I have heard the cries of my people, the slaves. In Egypt, Pharaoh was over top of God. The gods of Egypt were at Pharaoh's beck and call. But then Israel has the audacity to say, ah, 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 there's a higher authority than Pharaoh. There is one above all the oppressive rulers in this world, and the slaves have direct access to the top. That's good news about a God who is above all things. God is above us. God is also with us. God in Jesus Christ is our redeemer, the one who makes things right on our behalf. God is the one who comes to know what it is to be fully human for our sake, to know what it means to have your heart broken, to know what it is to be disappointed by people you love, to know what it is to be hungry, to know what it is to be afraid to die and to know what it is to go through death. God in Jesus Christ is God with us so that whatever we go through, we have a God who goes through it with us and knows what it's like. And finally, we have a God who is in us. God who comes from the inside, God who gives us a burning desire, a reverence for God and this world, God who empowers us to love and do good, to seek God. The Holy Spirit is already moving in us. In the Methodist tradition, we believe that everybody has this gift. We call it provenient grace, that the Holy Spirit is working in absolutely every person alive already to give them a heart that draws them to God, to empower them to love and do good. 
there are some of our Christian brothers and sisters that think you can't do anything good until you get saved and know Jesus. That's not us. We believe that the Holy Spirit is working in everybody and empowers everybody to love and do good and draws all to God. And so this is the formulation that makes sense to me, that helps me understand God, that God is above us. God is the highest authority that even the slaves have access to. Wow. That God is with us in Jesus Christ, knows exactly what it is to be a human and can empathize with our every need and struggle. And God is in us, empowering us to praise God, to wonder at the mystery of who God is, and empowers us to love and do good here and now. God does all the work, and we experience God in these three ways, and that's why, that's why the Christian faith won't, will never give up the doctrine of the Trinity, because we won't give up on grace. It's all about God's grace. I think I've successfully avoided any heresies. Send me an email this afternoon if I have any. <laughs> Let me get a couple of questions for you this morning. I forget which order they come in, so. Oh, this is a good one. How do we shift the question from heaven to Jesus, right? I think a lot of times we've, I mean, we, we live in a selfish culture. Let's just say that, right? What do I get out of religion? That's not what this is about. We're not the main character of our faith. We're not the main character of the story of the universe. We're not the main character of the Bible. So how do we make the shift back to our questions is, really, who is Jesus? What, who is Jesus here now? Who is Jesus then? Who is Jesus to me? When we make Jesus the central question of our lives, when we make Jesus the main character, we will find that we play our roles in the story better and better. Or to say it another way, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, right? Make the shift from heaven to Jesus. The second question is, uh, what does it mean for God to die on the cross? Hmm, that's a weird one. We kind of shy away from, from uh, God dying on the cross because it's hard for us to conceptualize what it would mean for God to die. And so the Christian church feels a little bit more comfortable saying the son of God, but not God. Well, if we take Trinity seriously, then we are taking seriously that God experiences death on the cross. Jürgen Moltmann has a book called The Crucified God, and uh, I recommend that to you if you're, you want to play with some of these ideas and understanding. Questions to continue to chew on. And the last one is, what's the good news for you? What's the good news for you when you hear that God is above us, when God is with us, and God is in us. God is a mystery, and I'm not trying to explain away any mystery. I'm trying to say this is the way the church has experienced God in these three ways. God, our creator, who gives us life, who is above all things. God, our redeemer, who is with us in this humanity mess. And God, who is in us, inspiring us and moving us. Christians have experienced God in these three ways, and we don't know and understand all of it, and I'm trying not to over-explain it. Because when we come to a mystery, sometimes the response is not to solve it. Sometimes the response 
is to be in awe and wonder and praise. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.